And the picture that I have is a cross shadowed in darkness. Light emanating from an empty tomb. And that one picture is worth a thousand words. The word forgiveness, the word love, the word grace. Uh, we could go around to a thousand different people and come up with probably a thousand words each. One picture is worth a thousand words. I'm going to look at what life truly is this morning and how that Jesus' life has brought us life. And we have so much to be excited for. Too many times Todd Miller gets the idea that somehow the world around me can offer life, can offer something in me or for me that will do me good, that will bring me joy. But truly, the only joy, the only life is found in Jesus Christ. John 14, I'm going to start there. It says in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now Jesus spoke these words just hours before he was betrayed and crucified. It's going to seem absolutely hopeless for a bit. But four times he says in the passage of John 14, but I will come unto you. And why is that so important? Because I live, ye shall live also. And without him coming unto us and manifesting himself to us, we don't have life. We have a religion, but we don't have life. It's only in Christ coming to us that we can have life. I also find it interesting that 4,000 years earlier, that same voice that said, in the day that ye shall eat thereof, ye shall surely die. There's no question about death that sin has brought. But that same voice that gave that command has also spoken into history's existence this command, because I live, you too shall live. Death and pain and sin will not define the disciples anymore. You know, at the time when this, when Jesus arose from the grave and when he manifested himself to them, you can trace the disciples' life and death and pain and sin is not what will define them. Life is what will define them. There, there's something joyously, there's something real about life that they embraced. And that is actually what defined every one of those 11 disciples, is that very life. All of us know what the sting of the curse feels like. We know about the sting of physical death. There's a sting, is there not? We know about the sting of condemnation. And sin and death has taunted mankind throughout all of history. Um, even the bravest men, even the strongest men. Uh, I look at our hero David in the Old Testament. Death mocked David many times. Many times um, David spoke, speaking to God saying, Don't let me go down to the grave. These lips cannot praise you in the grave. Uh, death mocks the greatest of men. However, in the New Testament, in the era of the church, after the risen Lord, friends, these heroes look death in the face and they mock death. 
that looks at the grave and looks in the hole in the ground six feet deep and says, you're not going to win. I'll go in there, but you're not going to win. Because I live, Jesus said, you too shall live. That means the New Testament age, because of the life in Jesus, you look at Christians who look in the face of death and actually mock death. You can crucify me, you can burn me, you can kill me, you can drag me on the street like Michael Sattler. You're not going to win death. Because Jesus has won. And that's why this day is so, so important to the Christian faith. That looks at the grave and says you're not going to win. First Corinthians 15 speaks so clearly of this. It says death is swallowed up in victory. It's not just defeated. It's been swallowed whole. And it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's no longer the grave that's the sting of death. Actually, the sting of death that describes it here is no longer the body dying. No longer that sting that we feel the same as being someone being buried because we know there's life. But it does say the sting of death is sin. Because of Jesus Christ, the sting is no longer the body being buried in the ground. The battle is won. The grave has lost. It's been swallowed up in victory. But we do need to be conscientious of this fact. The sting of death is sin. It's not okay for us as Christians to be okay with sin. Because sin will sting us. But there's a truth even in that fact. Christ has won the victory over sin at the cross. And He has won the victory over death at the empty tomb. Both of those battles were won for us. And because He lived, we can live in that newness of life. If we... I, and I... Each year that I go through this Easter time and consider again the, the newness of life, the beauty of the risen Christ, I, I think, it, for myself anyway, it's a lifelong process to fully grasp, to fully understand what death and resurrection of Christ truly has brought to us. I can't grasp a hold of it in my small mind. Uh, year by year it grows and I understand in a deeper way. And the more we understand, the more we connect with or more we see the victory in Jesus Christ over sin and over death, if we truly understand, it says in verse 58 of the last passage we read there, Therefore, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Okay, Because you understand the sting of death has been swallowed up in victory. If you understand that, and if you understand that it's not just in this life we're living for, but it's for eternal life, and that Jesus has created that way, if we understand that, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I'm going to be reading from Philippians 3, a few verses as well. It's only because of the risen Christ that we understand our labor is not in vain in the Lord. If we would say, you know, 
after you're dead, that's it. How would you live your life differently? And yet, if we truly understand, after you're dead, you're going to truly live. How would you live your life differently? Would we invest it more in people, in kingdom work, in church work, in family work? When you're dead, you're truly going to live. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because he lives, will live as well. That's why even giving a cold cup of water in the name of a disciple won't lose its reward. Because he lives, our hope is in the reward of eternal life. Now, Philippians chapter 3 is often quoted, but it's often quoted in partial phrases and, and half sentences. But this is one sentence in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 8 through 11. It's a long sentence. It's probably a run-on sentence. Paul wasn't concerned about sentences and punctuation when he was writing the prayer of his heart. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, the world says if you want to live, if you want life, then you want pleasure and you want things. Now, all of us know that pool of things and pleasure. But before Paul states Philippians 3.9, he says Philippians 3.8. Doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul is saying, I want to learn to be fellowshipping with Christ in his suffering. I want to be learning to be made conformable to his death, that I might attain. Uh, It's more than, I think, something that he is working for, like, Like, if I do all these works, then God will reward me. I I want us to think about it in a different way. (coughs) Excuse me, I can't cough in my elbow right now with this microphone on. That I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That I might, through my life, through God working through me, bring life where there's death right now. Um... How are we going to minister to people around us? How are we going to connect with people and bring life where there's death? How is our life going to bring fruit? What does this look like? What does faith in Christ truly look like? Faith in our risen Christ. I believe, first of all, it starts with a willingness to suffer the loss of everything. And then righteousness can flow out because that one faith grips us. And that is all that grips us. Pleasure and things certainly have their sway in our communities, in our lives, in our families. Can we look at the Easter story again and realize, let's lose everything for this one cause. That death can be made life again.
Jesus six times in the Gospel said this thing. He must do something. He must do something. And, you know, I have agendas. I have things that I want to do or have to do. But I find it interesting. The only time he says we must, he was speaking about going to Jerusalem where he must suffer. He must be killed. He must be rejected. He must be crucified. He must be lifted up. That's the only thing as I read through the disciples on his must-do list. We must go to Jerusalem. Why is that? It's because he knew that in his death, he would bring life. There are things we experience that are experienced by us to put us to death, to humble us. Uh, things might be community life, it might be family life, it might be church life, it might be work life, it might be husband and wife relationships, going through struggles, going through difficult times. A lot of these things give us opportunity to die to ourselves. And in dying to ourselves is where we can bring life. But all of us know the feeling of, no, I want to be right, and if I get this thing that I want of acceptance and being right, that's where life's going to be. But that's actually where death will come. When we're willing to die to ourselves, we can bring life. There are things that we experience, we criticize, we demonize people, we philosophize how people could be different, should be different. But many of these exact situations are God-inspired, saying, will you go to Jerusalem? Todd, you must needs go to Jerusalem. There's a place in Jerusalem to park your ego. In fact, it's not just to park it there, it's to crucify it there. And embrace the change of conformability to Jesus Christ. We lose the vision of the power of the resurrection when we fail to comprehend the importance of being made conformable to his death. I take you to a man in England, William Booth was his name, who witnessed many slums and bums experience the life-changing power of the resurrected Christ. This man truly brought life where there was death, where there was filth, where there was sin. Um, And I'm not saying I agree with everything from William Booth, but I look at that man's life and I say there was something of Christ that worked through him and in him. That changed many souls. And so I ask the question, how did the power of the resurrected Christ shine purely through this man? Powerfully through this man. Enough for him to be able to bring life-changing moments from death to life to many, many people. <coughs> Excuse me. You, look in, you can look at pictures and see him. A man who was rejected by the Methodist Mission Society because they they told him in his interview, we find you qualityless. You cannot preach. You have no enthusiasm. You're not a winning person, like a relational winning person. Uh, You can't sing. Uh, We have no posts to give you. And so what did he did? What did he do? He went home and he committed it to the Lord, the risen Christ. And because he lives... William Booth lived. 
And William Booth was used to change millions of people in his day and continues, the work continues, it's changed quite a bit, albeit it does continue. William Booth was asked by J. Wilbur Chapman, who at times, he was past the years of, sorry, who at that time was past 80 years of age. Dr. Chapman listened reverently as the old general spoke of the trials and conflicts and victories. The American evangelist, Chapman, asked the general if he would disclose his secret for success. Booth hesitated a second. Dr. Chapman, he said, I, and I saw the tears come into his eyes and steal down his cheeks. And then he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it's because God has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. God has all of me. Dr. Chapman said as he went away from the meeting with William Booth, he said, this is my summary of William Booth. The greatness of a man's power is a measure of his surrender. It's not about how gifted you are. It's not about how talented you are. It's not about you being able to tie words together to be able to help people in prison, in hospitals. Oh, what will I say? How can I bring life? The greatness of a man's power is a measure of his surrender. I think that's one aspect of conformable to his death. And we're not talking about just gloom and doom and, oh, we need to be dying, dying. This is about life. How do we bring life? It's by being conformable to his death. And I think one aspect of conformable to his death is summarized by the word surrender. It's not about talent. It's about not knowing what to say and how to say it and learning. And we should be learning. But this one thing is a measure of a person's greatness, and that is his surrender. Can God use him to bring life? You know, we've tried to change the world with enthusiasm. We've tried to bring fruit um, in the kingdom of God by truth. We need truth. And we need to be enthused about truth. But we can't be good communicators if there's a lack of surrender. There's, there's the bottom line. And it's in dying that we live. Many great things have been done in this world by Christian people. Many great thoughts. Many great philosophies. But I believe there's one description that means conformable to his death. And that is the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. There's another phrase that I think is so important and describes conformability to his death. It's in Romans chapter 8. Um, but we can't just skim over the measure of surrender. Uh, ego and surrender don't work together. I've, I've tried to do a lot of things, and I've tried to do them a lot for Jesus Christ, and my, my intent was right, but my ego was right there alongside of what I would say surrender. But you know what? Ego and surrender don't go together. 
They're, they're like two, that's the, like the North and the South Pole. You, you cannot go North while you're going South. Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem. Another phrase that I believe describes conformability to his death so that we might have life is what I call a trusting faith. It's more than just an attitude of surrender of, of saying, well, I'm just resigned to just whatever. You know, I'm just resigned and, and I'm just going to be surrendered. I think um, conformable to his death is, is that, has to be that, but it's more than that. It's also a trusting faith. First Thessalonians 5.18 talks about this. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, surrender is essential for the power of the resurrection to be experienced. But we can also look at that as kind of a victim mentality. Um, well, you know, I'll just kind of lay down and die kind of a thing. But I think there's an aspect of conformability to his death that speaks of a, a deep, trusting faith. Psalms 44, verse 22 says, David says this, Yea, for thy sakes we are killed all the day long. That's surrender, right? We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Now that's the Old Testament version. There's a New Testament version, Romans 8, verse 36. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And he says, no. He says, no. Don't, don't believe that. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Now, we want to be surrendered to whatever God brings our way. But, but that's not only what defines us. In all these things, we're more than conquerors, even in death. We are more than conquerors. There's a trusting, deep, abiding faith. It doesn't have to have a victim mentality where we experience painful things. And we just kind of, uh, you know, well, I'm being conformed. And no, there's a trusting faith that truly God is good. And I'm going to give thanks. He has a greater plan than what I see today. I go back to William Booth. Sounds like I'm a student of William Booth. One of my favorite stories of William Booth is when he was elderly. And he only had one good eye. Um, and in that one good eye, he had a severe case of a cataract. He was in his 80s, and he was getting older. He went for surgery to correct this because it was so severe. The surgery went terribly wrong. I remember he only had one eye. And that eye had a cataract, and we're getting surgery on that, and that surgery went terrible. Picture William Booth laying in his recovery room with a towel over his eyes, and he's awakening after surgery. His son Bramwell, which is an interesting name, Bramwell, is told by the doctors in another room, the surgery went terrible. Your dad will never see again. Bramwell, I don't know what the doctors were thinking in those days, but beside the point, Bramwell was given the responsibility to go in and tell his dad he'll never see again. The surgery went terrible. You know, what are the doctors, you know, I, I don't know what they were thinking. But can you imagine going and telling your dad you'll never see the light of day again? 
Bramwell went into the recovery room. His dad heard him coming, sensed that Bramwell was heavy-hearted. And he said, Bramwell, do you have news for me? Dad, the surgery didn't go well. Bramwell, does this mean I will never see your lovely face again? Yes, Dad. Bramwell said there was silence for a bit. And then William stated with confidence, God must know best, Bramwell. I have done what I could for God and the people with my eyes. Now I shall do what I can for God and the people without my eyes. A trusting faith. Surrender is there. But even to surrender, there's this side of a a deep, trusting faith. I did everything I could with my eyes. Now, Bramwell, I'll do it without my eyes. See, William Booth had a place where he said, I must needs go to Jerusalem. And he went. There's a lot of days that I haven't gone. Didn't learn the lesson that I should, that in dying we live. In dying we bring life. And we hear the call of the world saying, a pleasure and things and happiness, that's all going to bring life. And, and you use enough enthusiasm, you use enough joy, and convince people. You use enough truth, you'll convince people. And if they reject it, that's their fault. But where's a booth that says, I'm surrendered, I'm going to die. It's not about me, it's completely about in dying to booth that we live. There's some people right now going through very difficult things. And they need hope. They need the power of the resurrection. We can look at people who are going through difficult things of sin. We, we look at people going through sickness and disease. And they, they need to they look for hope. And many times we offer many things, many well-meaning things to them to try to help. And yet... Let's go back to the Easter story and realize that it's in dying that we can bring life. Like Jesus said, because I live, you shall live as well. And help bring that hope, that joy to people that this is death. This pain, that is not. The sickness, that is not what is going to be defining you. This pandemic will not be what defines you. When people see you pass from this life, it won't be, oh, he. what we remember about him, well, he died from the coronavirus. That's what we remember about him. But when they see you, they see a hope that life is what defines you. There's no way we can mimic that life. The only way we find that life is when we're willing and we say, we must go to Jerusalem. We must learn to die. For it's in dying that we live. Lord, teach me to be conformable to your death. Teach me to be surrendered. Teach me to have a trusting faith. Lord, because you live, we shall live also. It's in dying with Christ that we find and embrace resurrecting life. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for life in Christ. Thank you for new life. Thank you, Lord, that death has been swallowed up in victory. 
death and sin don't have to define us because we live in the New Testament day. Lord, help us to be a people who have a trusting faith, a surrender to your Lordship, that whatever you bring our way, Lord, that your will would be accomplished as our greatest goal. Lord, I pray that in our homes, in our communities, in our churches, in our place of business, Lord, we'd be a people who's willing to crucify our ego and our will and our desire that you can bring life and hope and resurrecting power into our lives, into our homes, into our churches, into our communities, and that your light could go forth in this very dark day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us online and for the few that are gathered here. And God bless you with a good day.